You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, the latest on the Jets and the rest of the NHL ahead of the expansion draft. Plus, an interview with Good Neighbor Brewing Company. But first, a word from our friends over at DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You've heard us talk about how payday comes every single day with DraftKings just by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night. It's super easy to do. And DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion, yeah, billion with a B, to users across all sports, the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in on the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki. Or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. So a quiet past couple of days for the Jets since our last episode on Tuesday. Getting ready for the release of the expansion draft protected rosters. So we'll keep things short and sweet here before a great interview with Good Neighbor Brewing Company to close out the week. So make sure you tune in later on in the episode for that one. Nothing at all from the Jets yet. So everyone in the city is continuing the DeMello-Stanley debate, it seems. I, I can't even, you know, walk my dog without talking to a couple of neighbors about why the Jets should be keeping Stanley. It, you know, Stanley does seem to be the leader when it comes to public sentiment, at least, which I find interesting. Ultimately, too, I do think that's what the Jets end up doing, barring some kind of a trade. I think the Jets will protect Logan Stanley over Dylan DeMello, even though I personally would lean towards grabbing that final protection slot for Dylan DeMello. It is getting down to the wire, though, on a potential Andrew Cobb trade, a move that would allow the Jets to protect Mason Appleton and pick up some assets in the process. It feels pretty unlikely at this point that Cobb gets dealt. I know Murad Atej in his article for The Athletic, said that there hasn't even really been a market, a trade market for Andrew Cobb that he's heard of so far. So it does look like an Andrew Cobb trade at the moment. 
is not going to happen and that Mason Appleton is likely to be exposed. Although not really the slam dunk decision that I thought it might be for Seattle, who I anticipated the Kraken taking Appleton because, you know, it looked like there was enough good defensemen to be grabbed and not enough high quality forwards. That's changed though. Because a D-man was taken off the Kraken wish list on Thursday night, Ryan Graves was traded from the Avalanche to the New Jersey Devils for a second round pick and um, I believe a low-level prospect for New Jersey. I mean, two things there from a Winnipeg perspective. I mean, first expansion draft-wise, with the top four blue liner off the table, maybe Dylan DeMello becomes a much more intriguing option than Appleton at this point. And and maybe we see, you know, the Jets find a way to keep Mason Appleton in the fold while losing Dylan DeMello. We'll see how that plays out in just a couple days' time now. But secondly, that might have been a nice deal for the Jets, hey? Like, I wouldn't have minded seeing Ryan Graves in a Jets uniform. I mean, I know it costs you a second-round pick, but then you've got Neil Pionk's partner picked out for next year. And you don't have to worry about one of the spots in your top four. And Graves has shown, I mean... (laughs) Right, he proved it in Colorado. He's a great complimentary piece to a smaller puck-moving defensive partner. So that would have been, I think, a nice fit for the Jets. I do think, though, that Winnipeg didn't make that deal, mainly because they have their eyes set on Jamie Alexiak when it comes to free agency to ultimately partner with Pionk instead. Uh, But I do like the certainty aspect that if you traded for Graves, you know you have him, and then you don't have to negotiate with a handful of other teams in free agency when we we all know the Jets are behind the eight ball when it comes to trying to convince players to sign here in Winnipeg. Either way, we'll get some clarity soon though here because the clock is ticking on Saturday's deadline when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets offseason plans. No doubt about it though, the big news of the week in the NHL was the absolute bombshell out of Minnesota. My God, Zach Parise and Ryan Suter both bought out on the same day with a boatload of money left on both of their deals. I mean, Parise wasn't a huge surprise and Minnesota tried to move him just a little while ago and boy, wouldn't they have liked that deal with the Islanders to have gone through right now. But Ryan Suter was, well, maybe not worth the cap hit. He was still playing some good hockey and no doubt about it, is still a, for sure, a second-pair defenseman in the NHL. So a few thoughts on this. One, I don't know if ultimately this is the right or the wrong move for the Wild, but I love seeing a GM make a ballsy call like that. So shout out Billy Guerin for at least making things interesting and exciting this offseason. And and I always dig when a GM just, you know what, kind of goes guns a-blazing, feels like a move as controversial as it may be is the right one. And he sticks to his guns and he gets it done. As far as the ramifications of the move, it does feel to me like Minnesota has to go either all in this year or full rebuild right off the bat. Like there's no in between. I mean, when you make a move of this magnitude, it does feel like you can't just, you know, sit on your laurels the rest of the offseason. Whether it's a, you know, maybe a trade for Jack Eichel or, you know, the club moves on from Kaprizov and, and Fial. I, I, I don't know. Either way, though, it feels like we're in store for a couple other big moves or two from the Minnesota Wild this offseason. But I just can't help but feel like 12 and $14 million in dead cap hits a few years down the road is something that's healthy for your franchise. I mean, that's not really a controversial opinion, but... 
I mean, their hands were tied, but I just can't imagine how this doesn't sink the franchise in a couple of years. It's just that's way, way too much money, no matter how good you draft, no matter how well you sign and develop and all that. I, I don't know if you can overcome something as massive as $14 million on even a rising cap a few years down the road. The final point, and the one that we will definitely get into as the offseason starts to wind down and as we get closer eventually to the start of training camp and the regular season, I know Parise and Suter aren't what they once were for Minnesota, but at the same time, those are still some some losses and some holes that the Wild are going to have to fill. But pending what Minnesota does over the next month or so, the Central Division, which is going to be home to the Winnipeg Jets again this upcoming season, doesn't really look all that daunting next season. And I wonder if the Jets aren't the second best team in the division right now and once the regular season starts, you know, also assuming that they make a couple of additions. I mean, Colorado is clearly head and shoulders above everyone else, and I don't think anyone's going to be close to them again, never mind the Central, but maybe the entire NHL. And the Jets are just extremely unlikely to reach that level after this offseason. But other than the Avs, I mean, Minnesota is solid, but I don't think they terrify anyone, and, and nobody really knows what else is going to be in the cards for the Wild going into next season. St. Louis, they're in a weird place. I mean, they might also be moving Vladimir Tarasenko for pennies on the dollar, too. But the Blues are nowhere near as fearsome as they were back when they went on their Stanley Cup run. Nashville is Nashville's okay, but they've got those major question marks up front still. And no more Pekka Rene uh, to, to kind of help share the crease with UC Soros. Chicago, yeah, I mean, they could surprise and, and maybe they pick up a Seth Jones and are more competitive than people think, but I, I just don't see them as ready to contend just yet. And then Arizona is also in the division next year. I, I kind of forgot about that. Um, but the Coyotes, to me, the Coyotes, I think they're going to be the worst team in hockey next year. I think they end up with the uh, with the number one shot at, at the first overall pick next year. Uh, I, I imagine Kemper and Garland and, and some of these other names are going to be out the door, and we just do not see a competitive hockey team out there in Arizona. So, look, Colorado's a big-time worry, but outside of the Avalanche, I don't know. This looks like a pretty sweet, solid setup for the Jets next year, and I think it's a major opportunity for them to grab home ice advantage, at least in the first round. So it, it to me, puts a little more emphasis on how critical this offseason is for Winnipeg because this division is not all that scary from the second team all the way down. And hey, who knows? You get into the second round against Colorado. It's been back-to-back second-round exits for them the past couple of postseasons. And hey, maybe they're the new Capitals and it takes them a couple of years, a couple more years before they ultimately get over the hump. Maybe Winnipeg can, you know, shock the world and take them down again. But we'll leave that for a further date. That'll wrap up the hockey talk for today's episode, which then leads us into the plates portion of the podcast. And I'll tell you what, with this garbage heat wave ripping through the province right now and in the days to come there may not be a better time to grab some cold ones to you know sit back and relax and try to stay chilled and fortunately for you today's guest is an expert when it comes to the brews all right very pleased now to be joined with the brewmaster and co-founder of good neighbor brewing company here in winnipeg morgan wheelgaz morgan how's it going today 
Hey, not too bad, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's funny because I just finished making myself a coffee to get through the uh, the early afternoon here. But I should have took a page out of your book because you've got it made. You just cracked yourself a cold one to get ready for the interview, right? <laughs> Actually, you know what? It was Amber who said, yeah, you should probably have a beer and just get loosened up for the interview. So, you know, she's a bit of a, the enabler, but 1.30, it's beautiful days. Perfect beer weather. Yeah, I know. I, I kind of messed up here. I, I should have I should have loosened up a little bit myself and, and cracked one. So that's a, at least you've given me something to uh, prepare for the next time I do one of these. So I appreciate that. And, and a shout out to to your partner, uh, the other co-founder of Good Neighbor, uh, Amber Sorellon as well. But let's get started here. And I guess we'll just start with the uh, with the obvious one right out of the gate. Just tell us the story of, of how Good Neighbor Brewing Company got started. Man, it it is a bit of a long-winded story. So (laughs) kind of dates back to probably 2011 when I first started in the beer industry. Um, I was working out of Ontario, Toronto, Ontario, uh, for a craft brewery called Amsterdam Brewing Company. And that is where actually Amber and I met. Um, She had been in the industry for quite a long while um, already, working for Labatt's. Uh, She was marketing brand for Red Bull and then joined Amsterdam to take on marketing and brand director. Uh, And I had joined on as brewer there. And we had worked together for about seven years uh, and then made the trip out uh, out here to Winnipeg to um, help out another brewery, uh, get them off the ground. Um, And recently parted with them this past September and the opportunity kind of presented itself of something that I think every brewer or just person in general has the aspiration of, okay, do you want to ever start your own business? And I think that's the biggest question that we're always asked is, have you, do you guys ever want to open your own brewery? And so New Year's Eve of this past year, the opportunity came into play of, Hey, like now's the time. Why don't we start up our own brewery? And kind of, bit of a cliche to say, but dream team, like she has, she knows marketing brand sales side. Uh, I've always known the production uh, recipe innovation side. So it's, it's kind of all aspects of the business are, are really taken care of. So New Year's Eve made the collective agreement that, Hey, let's start our own brewery. And so we did. And then was coined up good neighbor brewing and, I guess the the whole reason behind the name Good Neighbor was inspired by just a bit of a reset of who we are as people, um, what are our values, um, what do we want to bring to the brewing community here. Um, and that's just a kind of overall, just we want to create a very inviting um, portfolio, an inviting space, very inclusive, um, really want to be genuine and honest, um, be human. And I think that's a big part of this as well is bringing a human aspect of beer. It's like anyone thinks it's a product that you never really conceptualize how that product ended up in, in your can or in your bottle, you just drink it. Um, whereas we want to bring about that, hey, actually we are the people behind this. We're the ones who produce it. Come talk to us, like engage with us. Like we want to really make this a tangible experience for people. So that's kind of how everything transpired. and. As of this past year, uh, March was our first brew date, and our first product launch to market was the end of April. So it's it's been a bit of a quick stint of getting everything together and recipes developed, and obviously the brand and marketing side developed, uh, and here we are. 
I want to touch on something you said a little bit uh, earlier there. You kind of made the, I guess, official decision on New Year's Eve to go ahead and, and kind of get the actual brewing company started. Was this a sober decision or, or was uh, was a couple of beers involved and maybe that was the, the push you guys needed? I mean, I feel like beer's always involved regardless yeah. <laughs> of the decisions, but uh, it's it was kind of a, a realization of that moment of, hey, like, let's 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 do this. It's time. Let's cheers over this. Make the commitment. And what better time again, as cliche as New Year's Eve is, which we really don't ever celebrate ourselves. So it, it was more of a, I don't know, New Year, New Us. <laughs> That's the best resolution I've heard of so far. Let's open up a brewery and you guys actually did it. Um, you mentioned on your website that, you know, throughout the past couple of decades with your experience with beer and with brewing, you've traveled all over the world as well, experiencing, you know, different beers and flavors and, and brewing styles as well, I guess. What were you able to, I guess, extract from that? And, and what were some of the inspirations from different places that you visited that now go into your own beer? We've, it, like, yeah, a lot of our inspiration on, on the recipes come from a lot of the experiences that Amber and I have, have had. We've been very fortunate to be able to travel a lot um, the past 10 years together. Um, we've been to Italy. Sorrento was probably one of the most uh, memorable of places there. Just, you know, the story we have is um, traveling down by car from Rome and stepping out of the car and you're hit in the face with the scent of lemons and... It's just all the mass lemon groves that are around there. And, you know, the inspiration taken from that of how great would this be to capture in a glass for someone else to experience something similar to what we had that was very memorable for us. So um, the most recent one was uh, back in 2019, right before shutdown, we had actually traveled to Sayulita, Mexico, which is about 40 minutes uh, north of uh, Puerto Vallarta. Um, it's a very small little quiet surf town and we had gone out for a power walk which you know somehow I'm always dragged out but <laughs> love the beer afterwards and we uh, stumbled on this little hole in the wall bar and had the best mezcal hibiscus margarita and we were just sitting there and just awe founded by how like the, the full sensory experience of it the visual the scent the taste, the smell, like everything was fully captured in this, the sound of that little, you know, the little music playing in the, the dive shop. So again, how do we take this experience we have captured in glass to share with our friends, family, and, and people we've never met before. So what came about that was our Margarita Gosa series that we have. And now Gosa is a style, it's a German style sour, um, Originally was brewed out of Leipzig, Germany, which has a natural high salt content in their water, um, which imparts a lot of natural salt uh, salinity into the beer. So you get have a sour beer that's kind of mellowed out with a salt flavor, um, which we thought would be a great base beer for a margarita. Um, and then aged it with prickly pear, which is, you know, a cactus, um, the flower of the cactus, which has, you know, almost a Jolly Rancher flavor to it, watermelon, cherry, um, and then aged it with mezcal. Um, so it's just like a lot of our inspiration comes from that travel, new experiences throughout the world, uh, even locally. Um, and yeah, with the whole idea of being, let's capture our memories so we can find a way to share with other people. 
That's so awesome. And I love that, especially being a big fan of, of Italy. I've traveled there a bunch of times. And and when you mentioned Sorrento and the lemons, like I think of, you know, spending time in, in Capri and the Amalfi Coast. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. I'm down for some kind of lemon beer sometime soon. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's the inspiration behind a number of your different beers. And we'll get to the, you know, the selections that you have in just a second here. But as far as the brewing process goes, um, each brewery seems to have their own twist or trick here and there with what they do. Is there something similar to that with, with your company in terms of what sets your beers apart from your competitors? I think, yeah, it's all based on technique, recipe development, um, you know, proprietary ingredients and processes that you use. Um, at the end of the day, we're all working with the same four main ingredients, but within each of those ingredients, you have hundreds of different varietals of, of options. So um, we've been, like I said, in this industry for 10 to 15 years each. And uh, I think over the course of that time, we've really been able to spend a lot of time experimenting and innovating with, you know, new ingredients that necessarily people here haven't been able to explore yet uh, or new techniques that that we've been able to really refine over the years so um, our new approach specifically this year is, is we want to make lower ABV beers that kind of sets us apart from others um, just more in the sense that we enjoy beer we enjoy drinking more than one or two and don't enjoy the higher alcohol where we can't uh, be responsible beyond one or two beverages. So um, we want to make it very approachable, um, very, again, that five sensory experience with, with every beer that we produce and um, just really trying to do a strong arm on, on presenting that to the, the community here. And your lineup of beers right now, I believe it's it's six in total. Is is that correct? We do, yes. Um, so the concept of that is this year we just we're contract brewing, so we don't have a location of ourselves or, or of our own rather. Um, but what we really want to do is just showcase innovation. So we have six kind of pillars of styles that that we're producing, but with each of those styles, we're keeping it rotational. So we have a hazy IPA or Hazy Pale Ale series, which uh, showcases the yeast and the hops. Um, every new batch is is different. We have our Fruited Sour series. Um, again, the base beer is quite the same. We just uh, change in and rotate new fruit varietals and blends for each. Um, we have a Premium Pale Lager, which um, I visited Czech Republic back in 2018. Um, again, an incredible trip. I was spent a week with the brewmasters of Pilsner Urquell and, and Budvar um, in the caves there and, and really a submersive experience that I just wanted to bring again this this experience back here for people to, to be able to experience on their own time. Um, we have Fruited Light Lager series again just a, a pretty straightforward light lager that we um, rotate new fruit bridles in um, and just keeping it very yeah, innovative. I mean, the Margarita Gosa series. So just really trying to bring fun. Um, I know we've been quite serious in our careers um, for quite a while now. And we just kind of, like I said, do a reset of, of what we want and let's have fun. Let's be highly rotative. Just be creative and and try to bring something new to, to everybody. 
Yeah, the hazy pale ale is definitely right up my alley. That's that's going to be my my number one choice. Please explain, or or maybe try to sell me on this one because I mean I'm not a big sour fan to begin with, but a milkshake kettle sour series, including I, I believe you have a bumbleberry blend right now. Like what what which is what is that? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> uh, milkshake milkshakes like beers you have milkshake ipas milkshake sours essentially that uh is adding milk sugar or lactose um into the beer uh, it's an unfermentable sugar but what it does is it adds a bit more mouthfeel uh, and a bit more sweetness to a beer um so essentially our milkshake kettle sour the bumbleberry we just wanted it to taste like a bumbleberry pie and amber's mom makes she's an excellent um excellent baker and and cook and you know, she comes up with these creative pies that are just mouth-watering. And how do we capture that in a glass? And our concept was this milkshake kettle sour. Um, bumbleberry is a blend of raspberries, blackberries, and boysenberries. Um, a little bit of the milkshake, uh, sorry, the uh, lactose, and then a touch of vanilla. So on the nose, it's, it's quite... Uh, it's very berry-esque. It's very pie-like, but on the palate itself, it's it's nice. It's acidic. Um, it's four point eight percent, not overpowering. There's a little bit of a sweetness on the back end, but quite approachable and and sessionable is, is the term I use. So, all right, I think you sold me. I think you did a good job there. As, as soon as you mentioned the pie part of it, I'm like, okay, well that makes a lot of sense. I'm not a huge sweets guy, but if it's going to be in a beer, I can get down with that. All right. Um, I, I've always wondered this, um, but you're like the design on your cans. It, I love it. it. It's really, you know, clean and, and simple. And, you know, I love the blue. Um, how long does it take you to come up with like the branding and, and just the designs, something as simple as that? Because, I mean, it took me 10 minutes to pick up what coffee mug I, I wanted to use before we started talking here. So, like, it would take me forever. But I just I, I was just curious how long that process was. That was that's been Amber's uh brainchild for a while. Um, we've actually been working with a close friend out of Toronto who's a designer. Um, so Amber and, and Tony actually conceptualized the whole vision of it, um, what it looked like. Essentially what Amber and I did at start of January was, okay, what do we want our brewery feel to be? And, and that was like this uh, Scandinavian, like hoogie, like very simple, very clean, um, very approachable. And obviously with the name Good Neighbor, um, it took about two to three months for her and, and Tony to really nail in the font. This is a, it's a custom font. So he actually ended up um, writing out the cursive of it and, and developing that for us and then bringing in um, some of the icons like the, the fence and that. So took a while. Um, and then once she envisioned it and applied it onto the can, um, we worked through another month or so of, of just trying to nail that down. And come March, we started the can design and, and had everything built up from there. So. And you mentioned as well earlier that, you know, currently you're sharing a space uh, with Oxus Brewing Company. How's the search been for, for your own place? Is that something that you guys hopefully, uh, have have somewhat hammered out in the near future? We've been on the hunt uh, for quite a while now. I think the challenging part of this is, is we want to be a very submersed uh, neighborhood brewery. We want to be located in, in a true neighborhood, um, 
where people can walk or bike down to. Um, again, back in Toronto, we have this opportunity there where every neighborhood you seem to go to, you can walk within 10 minutes and, and there's a brewery. Um, so trying to find a, a spot here is, is challenging. There's not a lot of, um, you know, capacity buildings located, you know, in Wolseley or Riverside <laughs> or South Osborne that could accommodate a brewery. So we understand like we've really set our, our sites pretty high and um, we've been working through, but we're hoping that by fall we'll have a, a space confirmed and, and in the new year actually be brewing and opened uh, out of that location. So fingers crossed. I was going to say, you know, I don't know how likely it is, but if you wanted to pick a spot somewhere near Cordon in the River Heights area, make it walking distance for me, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, in, in the meantime, though, people can visit you guys because you have a pop-up um, with a great spot, one of the best spots in the city, the beer can. Yes, yes. And that was uh, something we're very excited about. Um, again, that was Amber's brilliant idea to pitch to the beer can guys. Hey, we don't have our own location. We're brewing out of boxes. A great shared space there, but uh, do we have an opportunity of, of bringing our own can down and, and bringing more of a pop-up taproom experience so um, we can at least fulfill that in, in the short term? So um, that's been a project coming along for a couple months now as well. And the beer can guys, uh, they've been incredible to welcome us into their space and, and just share in that kind of neighborly uh, vibe. So uh, all our beers served through there. We have drafts uh, of our own. We also um, serve some of our other brewery friends uh, in our, in our fridge as well. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's a great spot too. And it's nice. I mean, today is a much nicer day. I wanted to go back on Saturday, but it was, I think, 75 degrees Celsius outside. So I had to, you know, call a rain check, but I'll be down there sometime soon. Um, I do want to touch on just a couple more questions before we uh, wrap things up here. Um, Good Neighbor Brewing Company, you guys don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. Each month, you shine a light and feature a leader in the community here that's doing a lot of great work. And I think it's just a, a, a tremendous initiative that you guys have started. Um, you know, I, I, I saw a couple of people that you uh, promoted and featured on your Instagram account. Can you just touch on the inspiration behind doing that? And, and maybe even just some of the, the great people that you've um, got in touch with and, you know, kind of highlighted their stories over the past couple of months. Yeah, I, it's, I think it comes down to... Uh, we have this opportunity in front of us of if, if we have our own business and um, eventually our own brewery that we have the opportunity to really be in, intertwined in the community. We want to give back to the communities that give to into us. And not only that, just communities that need our support and, and just love and help. So um, that was a very big key component uh, when we decided to do this was how can we actually contribute back to to the community. So um, we decided that regardless of, you know, being only one month in in business up running and, and not necessarily being in the black of, let's still just find a way to contribute back. So um, it was very important to us. Uh, this past month, we featured Prairie Sky, who um, she is a, a indigenous part of the Bannock Babes um, drag queen group and she actually works out of uh, Sunshine. Um, so we decided to, well, we reached out to her to see if she'd be interested in um, doing a, a feature with us um, to showcase her and, and the needs that they've, that they've 
um, been exposed to, especially with COVID this year and everything being shut down and, and what that community needs. So um, I think, like I said, it, it's just very important to us to contribute back to the community, um, be as intertwined as we can and and just, you know, have a responsibility to be able to take care of each other as, as we can. So um, we're still, you know, months ahead of us now, just looking who we can feature next. And uh, we've gotten to the point where we'd actually love to feature other businesses and and um, them decide who, who they would actually prefer to um, see the donations go towards, which I think is, is pretty special as well, because then you hit different neighborhoods throughout the city who who actually know within those communities of, of who are at highest need. Uh, it's such a fascinating initiative, and I, I think it's an amazing job you guys do. I mean, Winnipeggers are are always the ones with the biggest hearts, and, and you guys are certainly following down that same path. So, you know, great work with uh, what you're doing there. Morgan, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it. Um, before you go, we do ask all of our food and drink guests this last question before they uh, call it uh, a day with us here. And it, it's a little different, again, because most of the places we talk to are um, you know, food-based and have a certain uh, meal item that they can throw in here. But let's just say that we're getting ready for game one of the Winnipeg Jets regular season sometime later this fall. We may not have a game day meal item, but what would be the go-to game day beer item from Good Neighbor Brewing Company? How would you have a Good Neighbor Brewing Company perfect game day meal? Oh, my goodness. I am a pescatarian. However, my father-in-law makes the most delicious ribs, so we'd probably have that watching the game out there with them um, with a good premium pale lager paired beside it. Nice and simple. It doesn't get much better than that, right? Exactly. Uh, do you actually use, like, have you thought of, you mentioned your, um, um, the, the pie maker uh, and how you kind of got inspiration from that with your beers. Are you planning on doing something where you incorporate the beer and, and maybe somebody else does the food? Um, you know, kind of combining those two things together? Yeah, we've spoken with a few people on um, having our beer. Uh, there is a woman, um, old chef out of Hearth, um, whom she's actually been using our beer in, in some of her pasta features that have been a lot of fun. Um, and then Keith is the chef at the beer can, the cantina. Um, we've actually been working on a beer pairing menu with him um, for select Saturdays. So, um, it's a lot of fun cooking and beer and, and just playing around with it. So it's definitely something on the radar and, and you'll be seeing some of those menus coming about in the next few weeks. Something to look forward to for sure, Morgan. Now, can you just let our listeners know where the best place is to get in touch with you guys, um, how they can buy your beers, how they can meet with you in person, you know, whatever you want to plug the floor is all yours. For sure. I, I would say the best place right now would be coming down with the beer can, um, it's usually Amber or myself there uh, almost every day for a couple hours. And every Saturday, we're trying to make it uh, that we're both there throughout the day um, just to you know meet people and, and talk through the beer. Um, our beer is available online uh, through Oxus's store or their tap room as well. Um, and we're available throughout the city with some select vendors, Quality Inn, Beer Boutique, uh, and then some select Liquor Mart stores, River and Osborne, Portage and Brunel. So, um, we're getting out there quite a bit. So uh, in terms of connecting with us, uh, you can just 
shoot us an email at hello at goodneighborbrewing.com. Neighbor spelt with a U. Um, and it's either Amber or myself responding on there. Huge thanks to Morgan for joining me as well to her partner and co-founder, Amber. Make sure you guys check out Good Neighbor Brewing Company when you get the chance. I think I'm actually going to grab a hazy IPA or two down at the beer can this weekend, even with how hot it's going to be. I'll try to cool down that way, so come on down with me and join me in helping out a super awesome local company. But that does it for the week. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Before I go, I actually got to mention, I'll be guest hosting on Winnipeg Sports Talk for the vacationing Andrew Hustler Patterson on Friday. So check that out from 1 to 3 p.m. this Friday afternoon. Looking forward to talking more Jets with my good buddy Michael Remus. But we're back at it on Tuesday with what sets up to be a huge episode. We'll get ready for the actual expansion draft and see where the Jets are at after what looks to be a quiet weekend. But maybe they sneak in a couple moves before Saturday's protected roster deadline comes. Until then... Thanks for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace!